This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. Noah, today we're going to continue our influential leader series. And what we're doing in this series is you're talking about some of these uh, men and women who have made a significant contribution to you, who you are as a person, but also who you are as a leader. And you're just sharing about their influence as a way to help others uh, learn about leadership themselves. So yeah. um, I'm excited to continue that with you today. And Tell us about the the man that you're going to talk about today. Yeah, so this next influential leader I want to talk about is Mark Homschult. He's my father-in-law, the the dad of my wife, Heather. And um, I've had the opportunity to know Mark um, ever since I was a young teenager because he pastored a church in the community next to mine. So I got to see him in action. And then stepping in uh, to married, uh, marry his daughter uh, in my early 20s, uh, just have been in his family for a long, long time, 15 years now, served on his staff for a little while, and and then in recent years been able to, to walk alongside him in his new ministry venture that he's been exploring for uh, the past eight or so years. And um, yeah, just, just a leader that has influenced me in a number of ways. Uh, but today I want to talk about just a few of those. Cool. Um, what was it like, just a personal question, yeah. what was it like getting to know your father-in-law even before he was your father-in-law? Yeah, one of the things I appreciated about him was uh, when I started dating Heather in high school, one of the first things he did is he called my pastor. Like, there's this boy that's hanging around. He's from the town next to ours. I've not seen him in school growing up. Who is he? So he calls my pastor and finds out, like, who, who, who's this kid? Who are his parents? What are they all about? So he did his homework on me, and I really respected that from the very, very beginning. And uh, so getting to know him there. But then Heather and I, if you know our story, we, we dated for about... Uh, about nine months, and then they moved to Florida, where her dad took a ministry role at a church in South Florida. We were separated for five and a half years, so her and I had the distance, so her and our dad had even more distance, and then we found each other again right before my senior year of college, and we got engaged two weeks after reuniting. Oh, wow. So did you date during those five years? No, not at all. Okay, so you are just... Broke up, went and saw a movie, maybe think of her. I was never, never gotten over, called her, Saw her a couple months later, one weekend, God spoke to us. We'll do a podcast episode on this sometime. God spoke to us. This is it. This is the person to marry. And so uh, she went home and told her folks. I went and bought a wedding ring and drove down there two weeks later to propose. So I got to know her dad um, really in depth over a lunch uh, before I proposed and then over the coming months before we got married and then then marriage, of course. So I don't want to waste all of our time talking about this story, but um, what was that like for him? here's this guy he hasn't seen in five years yeah. and all of a sudden he's showing up and like, Hey, I want to marry your daughter. I'm yeah. serious about this. God spoke to me or whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. It, the way it sounds is exactly what happened. Okay. And so it, it, all those things, we went out to lunch and he asked a lot of really good questions, a lot of spiritual questions. He, it really wasn't uh, getting to know um, the things that I like, like football or, anything like that, it had to do with my walk with the Lord. He just wanted to hear about, did I love the Lord? Was I walking faithfully with Him? What was my call in life? He knew a number of those things through Heather at that point, but he wanted to hear And he obviously trusts his daughter. It's not like he's... He does. 
But he knew also kind of where I was, um, you know, with my church, and he may have made some phone calls I didn't know about. He's been known to do that. So, uh, but yeah, it's been amazing getting to know him over the years. Uh, part of our story is when God called me to plant, um, we ended up homeless for a little while and jobless and not knowing what's next. And Mark brought me down to South Florida, let me stay in his house for a year. Um, I served as a janitor in the church until an, a an interim role opened up that I was fit for and had me serve on his team. And I got to work with him really close, you know, be with him all day long in the office and then come home at night and I got to see him in real life. I learned so much that way uh, from him. So that's why he's one of the most influential leaders I've ever had. That's awesome. So share with us some of the things that you've learned from him. Yeah. Three of the top three things that he might not even know about, but have been so crystal clear for me. Number one is Mark has taught me to never, never settle for less than your calling, never settle for less than your calling. Um, even this last Christmas, he, he wanted to take me out and spend some time with me. And when he did, he really wanted to talk about my calling. Like, am I fulfilling the call of God in my life? And he spoke into that. He's always been really clear to observe me and observe how I act and how I interact and where I find joy and really dig deep in observing me and then speak into that. But never settling less for your calling came by me watching him. So he pastored in Southern Baptist churches for 28 years of his life. And he got out of out of college and went to seminary at Fort Worth and got married, had a kid. My wife was born in Texas, a seminary baby, and was in churches, you know, ever since then. He's in ministry um, his entire life. He's, he's pastored. And, and so all these years he's been in, uh, been in churches. Maybe it wasn't 28 years. I'm trying to think how old he was, but a long time, his whole career. And then he leaves the last church that he's at in 2011, and he begins to just think through, God, what's next? What's next? What's next? And instead of going, doing the easy road of just finding another church to go to, because he could have done that. I mean, he had pastored churches at different sizes, always getting larger. He kind of followed that model in a number of ways. But he knew there was something else. And what he ended up doing, instead of going to a church where it could pay him one of the highest salaries in ministry, because he's senior pastor for all these years in one denomination with a good track, track record, he gave it all up to follow God's call to international missions where he'd have to raise his money for the rest of his life. Like his job now, what he does is he raises money to plant house churches, to evangelize and plant house churches all among unreached people groups all over the globe. Wow. Because it's his call. When he was serving at his church in South Florida, he led that church to engage the international community around it. When he got there, it had one service for one people group, old white people, all these people from the South that retired down there. And not only beyond that, we wanted to reach a younger demographic of Caucasian people as well, but in, in second generation, people who all spoke English, but he noticed the Hispanic culture. It's kind of North Miami, South Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood area. Um, Hispanic culture, this Portuguese-Brazilian culture, the Haitian culture. And by the time he left, there's a Spanish service, a Portuguese service, a Haitian service, two Anglo services. And, and uh, the Anglo service is an Anglo majority of people of all kinds of backgrounds. They just spoke English and felt comfortable in an in a English-speaking service. And so he led this church to be so engaged internationally because that was his calling. But little did he know what God was doing was refining his calling. Then finally, when he left that church in South Florida, it was, no, I don't want you to just reach the nations that I'm bringing to you. I want to send you to reach the nations. And he was brave to do it. We think about it, man. No more retirement when you're getting closer to retirement. Right. No, no more office, cush job with, with, with people serving you and allowing you to live in your sweet spot. 
you are just now, like, you're, you're doing everything yourself. You are the HR department, and you are your assistant, and you are the, the, the uh, associate pastors. You've got to do it all. And he did it, and I watched him do it. And I was so, I was so, I was so filled with energy. I was energized by it because, and I was inspired because the way he would speak about it, I said, I just got to do whatever I can to help you. And I'm not a graphic designer, but I, I designed their first logo. I just, I had Photoshop and just found it, heard his vision and helped him put it together. Got to see that birthed. I, I tried to be one of his first fundraisers, you know, giving to it, but also getting other people to give to it. Um, and, and now I've led our church to, to partner with them because honestly, man, they're getting it done. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law and the ministry they've started, they are reaching lost people in these unreached people groups in droves. He goes places where people have been there for years and years and years saying, well, you can't do ministry this way. You're not going to reach people. It's really, really slow. And he's there for six months. Uh, he's there for just a couple weeks training leaders and then works with them for about six months over the internet and comes for another trip and they reach hundreds of people per trip. And it's, it's insane, but it's his calling. So he taught me, never settle for less than your calling. I've just been inspired by him. As I get older and church planting becomes a thing of, I did that and my church gets more and more uh, established, not getting settled with doing something just because it gets easier. But instead, what's God calling me to? I got to fulfill that. That's the first thing he's taught me. Well, is there anything that he has done that has helped you identify your calling. Um, it sounds like um, he's a guy who has evaluated as he's gone, God, what's, what are you calling me to now? Yeah. What are you calling me to now? Yeah. And you just alluded to maybe that's happened even for you in the past where right now this yeah. is the, the lane, but maybe that's not always the lane. Yeah, um, yeah he has. Um, he's, he specifically helped me do that just by having conversations with me where he speaks into things. He's an encourager in that way of, at least he has been with me, where he'll look at and he'll just say, here's what you're good at. And I need that. I mean, I desperately need that because to be honest, I don't have a lot of people telling me that I'm good at things. Um, people just don't do that often for their pastors. They'll mm-hmm. thank them for a sermon every now and again. But you know, somebody that feels like they're a peer or feels like they're a leader that can step in and say, you know what you're really good at? That's observing and mm-hmm. kind of like a coach almost, just yeah. an observer. It um, feels the confidence to say it. Yeah. And, and he does. Uh, he loves me. But what's great about it, because I'm a son-in-law, is um, he, he's, not, he's not enamored with me. He's not impressed by me. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there's the negative side to that, that I can't impress him, you know, not in a negative way, but he's not impressed by me. Mm-hmm. So he can see through all that garbage, and, but, but he loves me and he cares about me. So never settle for less than your calling. Be bold to grab a hold of it and trust the Lord to provide. That's awesome. That's huge. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Number two is care about the right things. Care about the right things. Um, specifically in this context, Mark has cared about the right things when it comes to evangelism. Um, you can raise a lot of money in missions by taking pictures of people that look different than the majority culture that you're going to raise money among and just telling a couple stories. Just take some pictures and tell some stories. And you can keep your ministry going for a while with very, very little to no fruit. I know that because I've given to ministries that way. I know that because I've seen people do it for years and years. He cares about the right thing. He has made this not about giving an experience to Americans to go overseas and experience another culture. He has done this to reach the lost, to give his time and his energy to reaching the lost. 
I've, I've heard him talk about opportunities of partnerships with other groups, bigger groups who could subsidize the work that he's doing. Who just come underneath us and just be our guy and do our thing and we'll still take care of your salary, but they don't care about evangelism like he does. They want to do more mercy ministry things. There's nothing wrong with that. But Mark feels called to actually preach the gospel and call men and women, boys and girls who have never heard the gospel to believe it and give their life to Jesus. And he keeps a laser-like focus on that. I've watched him do it. I've been on the field with him when he does it. And I've seen him fight the, the, the fights that you have to do to keep that pure call in front of you daily and, and season to season. And he does that. He just cares about it. He lives and breathes evangelism to the unreached. He just does. And nothing shakes him from that. I've seen him keep uh, to care about the right things. Now, it's not that everything else is the wrong thing. It's that things aren't always the best thing. And so when I say the right thing, I, I mean also the best thing. Keep your eye on the prize. What I've been so thankful for him is he's helped me to see, even in, in local ministry in the United States, to care about the right stuff. To even though the things that often bring more resources or more people may not be necessarily the most important mission of the church to be disciples who make more disciples, to evangelize the lost and, and bring them in and make a place for them. Other things may pay the bills. Other things may make your, your church uh, more prestigious, but to care about the right thing. So I'm super challenged by him in that. Not only that, um, but caring about the right things. He cares about his family deeply, really wanting to make sure that he spends time with his wife, that he gets his kids together. Um, they, 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 don't, they don't own a second house on the lake, they just live at the lake. So half the year they're traveling around the world. The other half the year they have a little condo on the lake. So don't think glamour and prestige. Think smaller, smaller living conditions so that they can be close to where they really rejuvenate with the Lord. But he wants to get us all down there to experience time together. He really cares about it. Um, one of the things that Mark has always said is we made a memory. And I used to think that was just this little thing that he would just say to be, you know, like a dad joke kind of a thing. But really what it is, is he values that because he cares about the right things. At the end of this life, it's not going to be um, how much money you made. It's not going to be this, that, or the other. It's going to be the memories that you have with your family. Like, I did the right things. I cared about the right things. And we spent this time that you gather around the family. Now he's not going to wish. I wish I had spent more time at work. I wish I had run this race. It's going to be, what did we do as a family? What are the memories I'm holding on to? And so he's taught me that, to care about the right things. And the third thing is tied to that. Uh, but it's different because not everybody who um, cares about the right things actually does this really well. But um, leaving a legacy is his desire to leave a legacy in a number of ways. Um, years ago, I got, I got tuned into um, Dave Ramsey. I used to be a crown financial guy with Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett died and, and that ministry just, you know, um, I just didn't follow it as much anymore because where I lived had it on the radio all the time. But I started hearing about this guy named Dave Ramsey. And, and, you know, the total money makeover, I've learned so much from him. And I take it with an open hand, you know. I, I, don't, I don't subscribe perfectly to it because he ain't my daddy and I don't have to. But one of the things he talked about, he talks about in his program is leaving a legacy and the biblical principle of leaving a, le leaving a legacy when it comes to finances. So over and over again, Scripture talks about this, that wise people do this and good parents do this when possible. That's, a, you know, according to God's plan. Some people, God says, your call is you're living on faith day by day till the end of your life. I get that. But there's also this concept, this proverbial wisdom of leaving a legacy financially. Mark wants to do that. He cares about that. I see him underspend on himself in order to leave a legacy for future generations. He's always invested in such a way. And he talks about it. He wants to leave a legacy for his grandkids. 
he's like, he'll often say, this investment's not for me and your mother-in-law. This isn't for, even for you guys necessarily. This is for your kids. And I, I love that. He also wants to do that spiritually though. The number one thing that Mark has always said thank, thank you to me for, and I, I'll never forget this. He writes it in letters. He says it face to face. He says, thank you for loving my daughter and thank you for loving my grandkids. And he tells people the same thing. He introduced me sometimes. And at first I was like, is he taking a jab at me because I'm his son-in-law? But what he says is, is, Noah's a great young man. And the two greatest things about him is he loves his wife well and he's given me grandkids. And I don't want to take that for granted. That he sees the, the hard labor that I put in. Not super hard to love his, his daughter. She's, she's easy to love. I love her. Um, but it is, to be a good husband, it takes a lot of work for a sinner like me. Um, but, but then giving him grandkids. And it's not just because... The concept of the enjoyment he gets because he cares about legacy. And I think that leaders care about legacy. I think leaders need to care about all three of these things. I never settle for less than your calling. And whether that's ministry or not, you should never settle. God has called you and he's, he's uniquely um, made you. and You're fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose. Find out what that is and don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than that. Care about the right things though. In the midst of all that, like what, what should you care about? And there's, there's going to be good things in your life that you have to put away so you can care about the right thing and, and the great thing. Do that. And then finally, like leave a legacy. Being his son-in-law makes me hungry um, to leave a legacy for generations. Um, you guys have heard my story. If they listened to the last leadership episode um, about my dad, my dad wasn't always a believer. He is now. And it's just what a tremendous thing um, to get to leave a legacy on that side that goes back to my dad. Uh, but on Heather's side with Mark, there's a legacy that came from his generation to us. And so when I'm in the room with him, um, I know that I'm not the spiritual leader, that he is, that he, even though I'm called to lead my own family, that there's a deferring that I love to do. We have Christmas dinner and it's like, whose time is it to pray? He'll often defer to me because it's my home that we're meeting in. A lot of times we have the space for all the kids, but I love to defer to him from time to time, because growing up, the guy who always led prayers at our family dinners was my grandpa Gray. And then my grandpa would, every once in a while, ask another man in the family to do it. And it was always his, like, knighting you. Like, you you have the honor to pray as a patriarch in this family. So I think of Mark in that way, that he's got, he's, he is leaving a legacy. And one day when he's gone, um, one day when he's gone, his grandkids and his great-grandkids will tell stories about how he didn't settle for anything less than his calling, that he cared about the lost, and he gave his life to that, and that he left a legacy for them to enjoy. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10-2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit sendstl.com.